Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Today. Craig Malonson and Brant Freeman. I messed your last name up when I usually want to mess your first name up and say Grant. But um, Brant is the uh, one of the broadcast guys over at the Bobcats at Texas State. So how are you today, Brant? I'm doing good, Craig. It's funny, you know, of the two last names that get messed up here, I figured it would have been yours. Um, <laughs> I do but, mine. Uh, Don't worry, I do mine. <laughs> right. No, but no, I'm good. Uh, you know, looking forward to this weekend, certainly, you know, 11 a.m. kick there in Lafayette National Television. Um, you know, it, uh, it's always fun to see the Bobcats and Cajuns play one another, no matter the sport. The football has been a hurdle that Texas State has yet to clear with the Cajuns, so you're trying to break that heck, so to speak, but um, but I'm good. Good. You know, we, we've talked about in the past, and uh, I don't know that I want to play Texas State at Texas State every year, but I wouldn't mind going there three times and playing once over here. I love St. Marcos, love the area. Not only mm-hmm. the beauty, but the food, the culture, everything over there. So you're a very lucky man, as I think we are here, too. So Yeah, I agreed, you know, and, and the, the sentiment, you know, works with Lafayette as well. You know, I feel the same way about Anytime Texas State goes to Louisiana, whether that's, you know, for baseball, football, basketball, whatever the case may be, I love going to Lafayette. I've, I've mentioned this to you before, Craig, and, I, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast and talking to your fans, but um, I think it's the best fan uh, fan support group in, in the Sun Belt of any of the, of any of the schools. Um, the city, the community really you know, is so engaged with everything Louisiana and I've been to the state so many times, and again, in that state, you're either LSU or the Saints, and, um, and no matter what college town you're in, everybody's a, a Tigers fan except Lafayette. Um, you know, it, when you're in Lafayette, you 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 uh, live and die with the Cajuns, and um, I'm very envious, really, of that support. And I think other Sunbelt schools should take notice, too, of what it takes to build a culture, you know, look at what they do in Lafayette, and that's how you build one. Well, honestly, it took us years to do quite on, uh, honestly, because uh, when I was in school here uh, in the 80s, it was not that way. It was very hard to find Cajun gear. Uh, and my, uh, you know, I, it, having moved away and then when my, my dad passed away, there was about a, about a seven or eight year period that I did not come to Lafayette. Mm-hmm. And when I finally did make that trip back here, um, it, it was amazing to see what the town had, had transformed into. So uh, thank you. Uh, and I know you guys will get there as well. I know it's hard living in the shadow and I won't say anything else about the university to the, to the North of you, but uh, um, it, it's, you know, I, I loved your university. First time I visited there was 1986 when they were Southwest mm-hmm. Texas. So uh, loved it ever since then. had a great time. Yeah. So uh, I, I know you've you've been on other podcasts and I appreciate you doing that because more information about the Cajuns and the Texas State that get, gets out, I think, is is good for both programs. So mm-hmm. you doing all these podcasts is very, very good for for both programs, I think. So thank you for doing mine and uh, Rage and Review. 
Sure. Yeah, it was great talking to those guys the other day. I know they're, you know, like you, diehards for. Oh, my gosh. And are we back? Froze up. Sorry about that. One of our internets, and and I know mine, and I did it on the last podcast, and I won't go through it again about the technical issues of the internet and in fiber optics versus copper and all that because it's it's too much. But uh, Brant, you were saying about the raging review guys, and you're talking from there. I don't know where we left off. Sure, as- that, that's the beauty of Zoom. The good news is, Craig, is that I'm sure all your um, your fans, your, your followers, are very they can relate to what the issue we just had there. So no big deal. But yeah, I was just talking about being on the Rage and Review podcast and had a good time talking to uh, Matt and Jerry. You know, those are two diehard Cajun fans like yourself and, you know, people that, that um, you know, care about, you know, Louisiana athletics and happy to talk with them, you know, just like him with you. Again, I'm always, I'm always happy to spread the word about Texas State and, and get to talk more about uh, the Cajuns at the same time. Well, great. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh... We, we've uh, I know you you talked with them about conference realignment and everything, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying we have a different listener base, but we might have some different li- listeners out there. So um, if you don't mind, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but conference mm-hmm. realignment is what it is. But what do you think it is? What does it mean for the Bobcats? You guys are when I did the when I did the um, the mileage from each university for the Sunbelt Conference baseball tournament. Montgomery mm-hmm. truly was the center as Troy was at the time. I'll have to, I'll have to redo that now, but you, it didn't matter where you were going. It, it, unless it was uh, uh, Arlington or to the Cajuns, you had a long drive to get there. So what, what are your thoughts on more, I guess, Eastern teams and how realignments come about, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, Obviously, the first dominoes to fall were Texas and Oklahoma, you know, to the SEC. And we, everybody knew when that happened that there were going to be, you know, uh, effects felt, you know, uh, down the line. And then the next domino was, you know, the Big 12 picking up four teams from the American. Um, and, and then, um, you know, so the American then wanted to, to fill its voids and they go in and, and take out, you know, a bunch of teams from Conference USA. So, again, it was a matter of time before it reached Sunbelt. And, you know, the American took a lot of teams from Texas uh, in Conference USA, Rice, UTSA, North Texas. Um, and what's funny is that when the last big uh, domino realignment fell, was it eight years ago now, 2013, you know, Texas State was in the whack with uh, UTA and UTSA. Um, and Conference USA took UTSA, uh, to join along with um, Rice and a former Sunbelt member in North Texas, um, Texas State and UTA went to the uh, Sunbelt. I had some people ask me, you know, if uh, the Sunbelt was the, the best move, you know, was there more of a desire to go to Conference USA and be in a more Texas-driven league, specifically with football? And I'll be honest, at the time, I kind of you know, agreed with that. I didn't know a whole lot about the Sunbelt at the time. I wasn't familiar with Arkansas State, you know, uh, with, with ULM, you know, with uh, with Georgia State and Troy at the time. Um, but you know, as the years have gone on, I've just become more and more enamored, you know, with the Sun Belt. It is a tremendous baseball league, as we all know. Football has really taken off over the past three or four years. It went from 
probably the 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 worst group of five conference, say eight, 10 years ago to arguably the best. Um, uh, the basketball uh, has been really good, you know, in the conference. They've had a, a few first run upsets in the NCAA tournament. You know, the softball conference is tremendous as well. Our two programs specifically have been the headliners, you know, in that league. So um, even though there's not a big Texas feel to it, you know, I, I just love the fit. And when realignment happened, you know, and to see all those those teams from Conference USA go to the American out of Texas, you know, the writing was on the wall that uh, Texas State was going to be on an island. No matter who the Sun Belt added, there was nobody from Texas for them to add. Um, but if they're going to do that, make sure they're good fits. I think Southern Mississippi is a tremendous fit. Um, the football hasn't been as good recently, but they have a lot of tradition. It's probably only a matter of time before they get back. Baseball is a tremendous ad, you know, with Southern Miss in the league. Um, I, I like them going to Virginia, you know, and I think kind of add something with the Carolinas and with the Georgias, you know, with the additions of Old Dominion and potentially James Madison, you know, and, and Marshall uh, has, a, has a great football program there as well. So I think that if the conference is going to add teams outside of Texas, those are the four that I was thinking of after the American made their choices out of Conference USA. So uh, I, I'm happy with it. And there is some concern, yes, of Texas being on an island or Texas State rather being on an island uh, here. You, you know, it's possible that UTA and, and Little Rock as non-football programs will be squeezed out. So now for the Olympic sports, there's no longer a travel partner with Texas State. Um, so there is, there is some concern there and there's a lot of long travel ahead. Um, not that this is the best comparison, but, you know, when Texas A&M joined the SEC, they were the only team in Texas in that conference, and they made it work. That's about the change for them, probably not a change that they like, yeah. um, but uh, it can be done. You know, and I think Texas State still adds a lot to the Sun Belt. Certainly, there's a, there is a desire, not only for, you know, uh, for Texas State fans, but for the conference as a whole, for football to be better. Um, but the Olympic sports have been great. All of them have proven that they belong in the conference. They've won championships uh, across a number of sports. A lot of them coming in women's athletics. So I still think that even with the Eastern ads, Texas State still has a very important role to play in the Sun Belt moving forward. Well, uh, very selfishly, a lot similar to you probably. I wanted UTSA or Rice in there because it was mm -hmm. another uh, it was another short drive for us. And in mm -hmm. being able to spend uh, basketball time, uh, even though we were playing in San Antonio, I'd probably stay in San Marcos, honestly. Mm -hmm. and, and drive back and forth, you know, four days in San Marcos. I'll take that any day of the week, but it didn't yeah. happen. I, th I think it is good for the conference. I think it, it solidified uh, App State and Coastal staying in the league and trying mm -hmm. to move on, and it really helped those teams out tremendously because App State, outside of Texas State, App State was the other one that was having to travel pretty far mm -hmm. without a lot. I would love to see where the um, – where we're truly East and West divisions in basketball and baseball. And we're only crossing over the other side for about three games a year. So mm -hmm. that eliminates a lot of the plane travel for most of the teams. Yeah, so. I, I agree. You know, I really, what I'm curious about the most is scheduling moving forward, you know, with, with you think about it right now, the Sun Belt is a 10 team football conference. It's about to be 14. You know, so how often we see those Eastern Division teams, you know, for those of us in the West, and the answer is probably not very often. And then in the Olympic sports, there's going to be a heavy emphasis on divisional play, as you said, 
And so you, for baseball, for example, you know, how many games will the conference schedule be? And so if you're a West team, are you only playing an Eastern team one series, two, maybe that's it? You know, so how often will you see Marshall, you know, baseball or Old Dominion baseball and Lafayette, maybe once every four years. But um, I like there being, you know, a big emphasis on, on divisional play. And those times you do play teams from the other uh, division will be a, a nice, you know, change of pace, so to speak. So um, the scheduling is going to be the very important part of this move uh, going forward. Well, I think two things that happens in football, in my opinion, it gives you the the possibility, not necessarily. Well, it does give you the ability, but the possibility of two teams that did not meet during the regular season to play in a championship game, mm -hmm. which I think is better for the league, in, in, in my opinion. I'm not saying mm -hmm. both teams will be undefeated, but at the same time, both of those teams may be able to uh, not have played each other and may not know as much about each other. So, because right. as it stands right now, if the season ended today, it would be App State and the Cajuns again, and App State would come to us. Mm -hmm. So, and we've seen that. We've seen that in the past with App State winning and the Cajuns having to go there, having played them already. So, uh, maybe a little less excitement, but at the same time, if the team that, that won the first game loses the second game, maybe it is more exciting. I don't know. So, yeah. but baseball and basketball are, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, especially for baseball that has a lot more players and a lot more equipment, we're able to get on the bus and head over to, uh, uh, head over to, to Southern Miss and, uh, and Troy and all that. So it should be a good time. Oh, did you lose? I lost you again, or did you lose me? Uh, I, I think I lost you, but um, uh, you're talking about playing App State potentially yep. again to the conference championship game. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the comment was, and I won't, I won't go over everything. Just saying that I think it's a little anticlimactic playing the two the two teams playing again for a second time. I know it mm -hmm. happens, and it could be good for you know for both teams, but I think more importantly for like teams like baseball that have a lot more players and a lot more equipment to travel with that mm -hmm. bus ride to Southern Miss, that bus ride to Troy, that bus ride to South Alabama, the bus ride to Arkansas state, the bus ride to ULM, the bus ride to Texas state is a lot more palatable for everybody than having to go to coastal or app state, you know? Yeah. Agreed. So we can, we can get those teams that we play locally mm -hmm. and then still out. I'm going to have to break that down to see what I think. I really think, uh, I, I really don't know how much football is going to change so that's the interesting part to me mm -hmm. so but let's take our first break right here uh you're talking to we're talking with with craig melanson and brant freeman we'll be back right after this message welcome back into we're talking today craig melanson and brant freeman one of the broadcasters for texas state brant i know you you're you've only seen the team at home which has been there honestly their better games have been at home mm -hmm. uh a uh, close call with uh, Baylor, but why is this team, I guess, why is there kind of this, I don't know, incarnate word? Yeah. Was it, was that, was that an accident? Was that, I know you guys had some guys out. Was that the reason? Yeah. So I'm, well, you know, so I'll go through the, the season to this point going into Saturday, the first seven games. So Baylor, a very competitive game, you know, it was really a one possession game that the, the, it was a nine point game because of a strange safety at the end. They kind of, you know, cushioned the, the, the margin for Baylor, but it was very competitive. Like it's a good Baylor team. You know, Baylor's playing really well right now. 
The second game, um, you know, the team gutted out in overtime, went at Florida International. You know, not that FIU is, is playing great right now, but a road win and not conference play, those aren't easy to come by. I forgot about that one. Sorry. Yeah. No, Incarnate Word, you know, the team had a chance to be two and one for the first time in eight years. It, that it kind of tells you where our program has been. But, you know, but this is supposed to be, you know, a turnaround year for the for the team. Year three for Jake Spavadol. So you get that road win at FIU. You got an FCS at home. You feel good about it. But then 24 players are knocked out because of COVID protocols, you know, and this wasn't a deep team to begin with. So when you take out 24 players, I mean, that's a huge blow. And then they lost a 25th in the game because of a targeting call, uh, an important player starting in the secondary. And in Carter Ward is a good FCS team. They're probably going to win the Southland Conference going away. Their quarterback is a Walter Payton type, type of player, which of course is the FCS equ equivalent of the Heisman. Um, I, I was watching him play and thinking, all due respect to, to UIW, he shouldn't be there. Um, and you got to, you have to tip your cap to them. They played a good game. They won it, you know, and, and they took advantage of the circumstances, you know. And then the, the COVID protocols lingered on to the following week, 21 players out against Eastern Michigan. And the depth issues really uh, reared their ugly head late in the game. It was, it was a one possession game, two possession game going into the fourth. They, they wound up, you know, losing by 38. Um, but then conference play starts, and all the guys are back from COVID protocols. You know, they're coming off the bye week and come back from 14 down in the fourth to beat South Alabama, a Jaguar team, as you know, Craig, almost beat the Cajuns, you know, if not for a missed field goal or a, uh, uh, a mis-executed play on a fourth and goal in that game. So one and own conference, again, feeling pretty good. And they, they get ahead of Troy. They had a four-point lead going into the fourth against Troy. But then three consecutive possessions ending in interceptions, you know, by the quarterback. Um, I was a little shocked at that when I was watching that game and I was pulling for y'all hard. So. Yep. Yep. You know, and one of those was a pick six and, and, and the last one came with six and a half to go and the defense never got the ball back, you know, and then I think I, I want to say that some of that loss maybe lingered into Georgia State. You know, uh, where they come out of the gates well, but can't finish drives, settle for field goals instead of touchdowns. So their window of opportunity was early in the game. They missed it. Georgia State took advantage and they wind up losing 28-16. So it's been a very frustrating year. You know, the circumstances of COVID, some injuries you know, have been a problem, namely in those two games um, and uh, inconsistent play offensively and defensively, you know, uh, uh, Poorly timed turnovers, not that turnovers are good at any time, but, you know, to, to have them in the red zone, have them with, with, with the lead of the fourth quarter, certainly stand out more than others. And um, here the team stands, two and five, what was supposed to be a turnaround year. And, you know, it's been frustrating. Well, you know, I've seen I've, – I've tried to watch most of your games, I, I, and I've had them on one of one of the three TVs in, in, mm -hmm. in, the, in that part of the house. So – I don't think everybody understood what incarnate word was. I mean, like I said, they are, they're still a, a FCS program though, but, but at the same time, I don't get their loss to Magnese. That kind of, or did I know who did? Yeah. They played Magnese twice. You so, so the reason for that is that the Southland conference got rated themselves over the off season by the oh. a reborn version of the WAC. So Sam Houston state, 
Lamar, Stephen F. Austin, um, all bolted for the whack, as did Tarleton, which we think was supposed to be a Southland team. And so that meant an NFL-like schedule in the Southland where I think that three of your opponents are playing twice. Yeah. That's why they played uh, McNeese twice. Okay. I did not realize that when they bolted that it was like that season and they were, I mean, it was like they're done. Exactly. They left for the whack, you know, in, in June or July. And when they accepted, I mean, they left. So the Southland had to scramble to get a schedule together. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I learned something new today. I'll tell you. Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, no problem. No problem. I, I don't watch. I mean, I, I see, I, I'll put on Nichols. They've got their head coaches. One of our former coaches. I got lots of mm-hmm. friends that went to Magnese. So if they're on, I'll put the TV on and check out the. It's their, it's not my main game, but I'll mm-hmm. have it on one of the other TVs. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Texas state though. quarterback position. Brady McBride. Is mm-hmm. he in any, are the fans calling for a change or. Any, any, I guess any, any chance of a change or, or do we, or he's played pretty much every down from what I can tell. Yep. Uh, he has. So Brady is a second year starter. This is his third year with the program transferred in from Memphis. They tried to get him to play in 2019 with Spav. That was Spav's first year. Um, but the NCAA wouldn't, wouldn't clear him. Um, they, they didn't get the exception, you know, to, right. to be eligible right away. So he had to sit out. So he was the opening day starter in 2020 um, and uh, ran into some COVID issues himself where he had to miss uh, a game or two. And then performance actually got him benched last year and it, it followed the game against Louisiana. If you recall the game on Halloween a year ago, Brady, you think through three interceptions in the first half and Louisiana wound up winning the game 44-34. So, you know, those, those interceptions meant a lot. And the, the job went to Tyler Vitt, who uh, started the next two games, did okay, got hurt in the second of those two. Brady came back in and played lights out. Almost let a comeback to Georgia Southern, beat Arkansas State, was named player of the week after that win, and then ran into Coastal in the final game of the year. Um, so, but he played well the final three games, and, and he was the opening day starter again this year. Um, and it, what's funny with him is that uh, – he has moments of brilliance um, and you can, you can see him play and it's kind of a Johnny Manziel light where uh, he's going to get outside of the pocket, you know, make, make throws on the run. He'll gamble. Sometimes it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't Has kind of that, you know, uh, uh, swagger about him. Like, like Johnny football did back in the day who Spab coached at Texas A&M. And that's a comparison that he uses quite a bit with them. Um, but, but when, when things get bad, they get really bad. You know, McBride has thrown, I think it's nine or 10 interceptions this year and three games, he has three interceptions, three against Baylor, three against South Alabama, three against Troy. And so when things start going downhill, they go downhill fast. And the, 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 uh, the two, three interception games of conference play, all those interceptions came on consecutive possessions. Uh, in South Alabama, they all came in the first half. Um, so it, that, that kind of put them in a 24 to 10 hole. But but if not for his play, they don't come back to win the game. He was great in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And then against Troy for three quarters, the best I've seen him play. Um, just made some tremendous throws against coverage, made great reads, 
you know, everything looks, you know, uh, again, he looked at his best. And then the fourth quarter happens and then turnover McBride comes, you know, comes back through and, and, um, and it was his play in the fourth quarter that cost them the game. So for Texas State, they just need, you know, Mr. Hyde and not Dr. Jekyll, you know, with, with Brady McBride. And again, if you, if you take his, his good film, you would believe he's the best quarterback in the Sun Belt. If you watch his bad film, you'd think that he's the worst. Um, and they just need more consistent play out of him. Well, if you look strictly at if you look strictly at a few numbers, not all of them, but if you tell me my, my quarterback's got almost a sixty percent completion uh, percentage, mm-hmm. and he's got twelve TDs and fifteen hundred yards through seven games, I'm thinking uh, a, a seventy-five yard touchdown pass. I'm thinking that's pretty good. But then, like you said, you got the ten interceptions, and some of them, or at least one of them, I know of was a pick six, and the three at the end of the game. Like he's two two pick sixes and and three of them at the end of the game of the Troy, which I, every time I turned around I was like because I was working in my shop and every time I turned around I'm going like look I'm like wait a second, Texas State just had the ball and I rewind and all of a sudden I see oh crap, yeah, so, yeah you're not the only one saying that so, well, so but I don't see anything and, and right now from what I did see uh, the Georgia State game. Uh, he was also your leading rusher, which is, I don't think, a, a good deal. A good unless you've got uh, uh, Michael Vick or uh, you know somebody like that. I don't. And but but again, you said he's the Manzel type of quarterback, and it's funny mm-hmm. you say that because one of the guys that I do the other broadcast with, uh, he that's how he described him the last two years, Manzel like. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know we're not the only ones thinking that. But where, mm-hmm. where are you, I mean, you guys running, not running the ball. Is that because of the offensive line or is that because it's just, I mean, it looks like they're playing play calls there or is it just because you're playing from behind at some point? I, yeah, I think it's a lot of that. You know, what's funny, um, Craig, is that Texas State this season has three possessions with the lead of the fourth quarter, three. And so when you're playing from behind, you, you know, you tend to abandon the run. Um, and so that's part of it. They have a good stable of backs. Calvin Hill, Brock Sturgis, Jamil Jeter all bring something to the table. You know, Hill is a, a, a smaller yet, you know, shiftier back that can make plays in the open field. So Jeter is kind of a bruising back that you go to in short yarded situations and Sturgis is kind of in between. Um, but the, uh, none of them are considered bell cows. You'll never see anybody with more than 12 or 13 carries in a game. And um, and I think the offensive line has struggled this year as well. You know, some of that's been injuries. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of Brady, part of the reason why his rushing totals were what they were was because the pass protection broke down so quickly, he had to abandon his reads and just take off and either throw the ball or take off and run. Um, and that's, you know, and that's why he led the team in rushing in addition to that, you know, again, being that, they, they played from behind for, for most of the game, you know, last Saturday. So um, they can do good things in, in the run game, but it's certainly not their identity. I think ideally that they, they would like to be what the, the offenses were for Coach Spavadol, West Virginia, up-tempo, air raid, you know, uh, vertical passing game kind of thing. Um, that's, that's what they would like to be. Uh, but they also want to be, you know, they, they want to be able to run the ball. They just haven't ha- had much success with it. Well, you mentioned the air raid. What are we looking at on the receiver side? Because uh, you've you've got some guys there. 
I mean, is that something that he's trying to actively continue to recruit or is it just a young receiving core? I guess, Michael. So, you know, the receivers uh, actually been a big strength, strength of the team, you know, Marcel Barbie last year had 10 touchdown catches, which was tied for seventh in the country. He's got four this year, um, big physical receiver. Um, and, uh, you know, probably one of the more talented players, uh, Javon Banks is the other threat on the outside. And he is their home run threat. Big play receiver. You mentioned a 75-yard touchdown pass. Banks was on the receiving end of that. Also had a 57-yarder against South Alabama. Um, he has 16 career touchdowns, which is tied for fourth in program history. Of the 16, six have covered 50 yards or more. Wow. So he's a big play threat. You know, uh, a, a lot of you know speed and the, the intangibles that make a, a, a big play receiver. Um, so you know. If they ever go vertical, Banks is typically the guy to do it to stretch the field. Um, but I think it's a matter of whether or not the pass protection can hold up long enough. You know, they kind of had to abandon the vertical passing game last week against Georgia State because their defensive line got in so quickly. So a lot of what Brady had to do in the passing game was the, the short and intermediate routes. But ideally, yeah, they want to stretch the field and and uh, go go vertical with, with uh, those two. What, what about um, one thing I do notice is you guys don't return a whole lot of punts. Is that by design or? You know, a year ago, they had one of the best returners in the country in Jeremiah Haydell, who had a kick return for a score, a punt return for a score, you know, and I was also made a big play receiver. He, he had the chance to come back, but opted to go to the NFL, you know, and ended up getting signed by the Rams and made it pretty deep in a preseason with Los Angeles. But, uh, so it's been tough to fill that void, and they don't have a Jeremiah Haydell on this team, and they, they've kind of had a, a merry-go-round of uh, players at pump returner, some of that being injury-related. I think they've had three different players at pump returner, um, and I'll be honest here too, Craig, they haven't forced enough punts to have a chance. Well, and I didn't want to say it. After I said it, I'm like going like, well, maybe they haven't stopped the guys enough to have a whole lot of punts either. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it seems like when they do get stops, they happen around midfield. And so they're, you know, opposing teams are punting inside the 20, a yeah. chance for a return there. So it's a combination of a lot of things. I, you know, um, yeah, ideally they'd love to have a, you know, a guy back there to uh, return punts, but um, uh, like Hey Dale did last year, but they just, have, they just haven't had those opportunities this season. Donovan Moore, I believe that's how you pronounce his name on the kickoff. Oh. Donovan, so my camera went out for a second, Greg, you're good. Okay. Donovan Moore, uh, uh, kickoffs. Uh, did, did, I, did I hear that he was hurt? Or Donovan Moore is out for the season, unfortunately. Suffered a season-ending injury against Georgia State. Uh, I know they worked in Caleb Twyford as kick returner after uh, Moore left the game against the Panthers. Not sure what the plan is for them moving forward. I don't know if Twyford is that guy. And again, they, you know, Moore was a good returner. Uh, had, a, had a couple of decent 30-plus yard returns this year. Um, so that's a big weapon they're, they're now without. And uh, Haydell was a big threat in that regard. You know, a year ago, they don't have a Haydell-like player. So um, I'm not sure who we're going to see returning kicks on Saturday. And I don't know if this is by design with Coach Napier, but I noticed the last couple of years we have three guys that rotate in there. There's one guy that's always there, Chris Smith. And then mm -hmm. last year it was either uh, – 
uh, Elijah Mitchell or Trey Regis that was back there with him. So we always had another option if one of them went down. And maybe that's by design. I never thought of it that way. But when your main guy goes down and you don't have somebody there, that's an interesting. So, well, let's take another uh, quick break. And then we'll come back and we'll talk some defensive side of the ball. Listen to work talking with Craig Melanson and Brent Freeman. And that time I said both of our names right. Back in with we're talking Craig Melanson and Brent Freeman, one of the broadcasters for Texas State. Uh, Brent, let's talk on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, where, um, well, let's start with the defensive line first and let's move our way back. What are we looking mm-hmm. at on a defensive line? You guys run an odd scheme, from my understanding, is a 3 3 5 in that mm-hmm. fifth back or that fifth back a lot of times is not what you would think of a a big linebacker that's just playing safety or moving around you really got three cornerbacks out there but let's start on the defensive line what you guys are doing there so uh they actually have some some experience up front you know a year ago they were without a very important defensive lineman in in Savion Patton missed all last year because of a back injury he was honorable mention all, all Sunbelt uh, two years ago. So he's back in the fold. Uh, he, he was one of the 25 that missed the UIW game and, and virtually all of the Eastern Michigan game too because of COVID protocols. So that was a big loss in those two games. Um, but uh, he's healthy and good to go, you know, for, for Saturday for this game for sure. Um, Jordan Revels has been a player that uh, the coaches have really highlighted. They really like his play. Uh, up front, Nico Ezador is a preseason second team all Sunbelt kind of guy coming off a career year. Last year, he has been banged up, hasn't really played the last two weeks. And so, um, you know, we'll see how he does in his return, you know, this Saturday. Nick McCann is the, the nose in the middle. McCann is a transfer in from Texas Tech. Um, so, you know, the, the three guys up front have done a pretty solid job. It's not necessarily on them to get pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. That should come from the linebackers in this particular scheme, but they're not getting in the backfield enough. You know, you look at the numbers and tackles for sacks and for loss and uh, tackles for loss and sacks, and um, they're near the bottom, you know, in the Sunbelt Conference. And, and those three have got to be the ones to kind of, you know, push the line, you know, down the, push the offensive lineman down a lot of scrimmage and free up the gaps for the linebackers. And not sure if that's happened enough you know, this season, but, um, you know, they all occupy space and, and uh, they're veteran guys. They're, they're good leaders in the team. And from time to time, they'll make some plays. Good deal. Uh, the defensive back. So what I'm I, three, three, five, I, I'm, I'm sure. I, I mean, you, I'm sure we've all seen the nickel back, but to play it almost every down is that, is that, uh, is, is that standard, I guess? I mean, was the coach playing that last year, new defensive coordinator? What, what's going on there? So, you know, Zach Spavadol is the defensive coordinator. And uh, when, when they came on board, they inherited a 3-4 roster, you know, on the defense. And I believe that's what Zach Spavadol was familiar with the Texas Tech when he was there previously. And um, I don't think they have – the depth of the linebacker to be a three, four right now. So that's kind of, but they have a lot, lot more experience and more bodies in the defensive back. And so I think that's why they've gone to more of a three, three, five this season. Um, and there's a lot of new blood in the secondary, you know, a lot was made in the off season about Texas state almost exclusively using the transfer portal for its recruiting class. 
and a good chunk of that went to the secondary. They brought in D.C. Williams from Vanderbilt at cornerback. They brought in Chris Mills uh, from Missouri at corner, uh, Michael Levette in New Mexico at corner, Eric Sutton at SMU at, uh, from SMU at cornerback, Troy Leffridge uh, from Utah State at safety uh, has came in to shore up the secondary as well. And some of those guys have had their moments, you know. Um, Leffridge has been among the, the, lead, the team leaders and tackles this year. Um, so uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the secondary, you know, in, in a nutshell for them. Um, and it's kind of like uh, the defensive line or really the defense as a whole. They've had their moments, you know, but it certainly hasn't been a lockdown de- defense either. So it's interesting because you seem like you have a lot of depth at the uh, defensive line spot. Is that something you guys get to rotate in a lot? And do you see them going to uh, – do, do they play any uh, four across or are there, are there, is it pretty, pretty much all game with three, three defensive linemen? I think it depends on the game situation. They'll go to a four-man front when, it, when it's necessary. You know, I think their pass rushing packages will have that. Um, so at times you will. You know, uh, they can play as door and Rebels and McCann and Patton all on the line at the same time. And you'll see that from time to time. But I do think they're more comfortable in a three-man front. Okay. And what 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 I would think if you've got the, the, the guys you brought in the defensive back side of it there, mm-hmm. I would think this the strength of the team would be the pass defense in, or would I be – would that be wrong also? Because you – know, because you mentioned that they're not getting pressure up front. So maybe, you know, sometimes that's. Uh... Yeah, I'll be honest, Craig, it's kind of hard to say what the strength of the defense is because not enough plays been made. I mentioned sacks and tackles for loss. And now one thing they've done very well is forcing fumbles and recovering them. That's one thing they've been excellent at this year. Um, not, and I'm not saying that forcing fumbles isn't making a play, but like if, <clears throat> um, when you think about the pass defense, you think about sacks and interceptions, you know, they typically go hand in hand. If your defensive front gets pressure, the quarterback is uncomfortable, makes mistakes, secondary takes advantage. Or if your secondary is so good in coverage, then that will allow time for the free pass rush to get in to get to the opposing quarterbacks. And both those numbers are down. I think the sack total is at like, it's under 10, I think for the year. Um, Interceptions, they only have two so far this season. and one of those was on a tip ball. So um, I don't know if they've complimented each other enough seven games into the season. Um, so it, they, I think sometimes they have to manufacture pressure, you know, blitzes, namely. Um, and that typically is when opposing quarterbacks have made mistakes. And so for that, you know, they'll turn to their rush specialist and linebacker, namely uh, Isaiah Nixon, who has been one of the best players for them on defense this season and a pleasant surprise too. not somebody that the, the team expected to be had to have this kind of impact uh, this stage of the season. But uh, at times has been a difference maker, as has Sione Tupo, um, who was the defensive player of the week in the Sun Belt after the conference opening win over South Alabama. So they've gotten some pretty good play at a linebacker this season for a position that was kind of uh you know a question mark coming into the year okay well i'm just you know going through some numbers here uh i mean 10 to 14 on fourth down conversions is pretty good but you really don't want to get into fourth down and i'm not third i'm not sure 30 37 on third down 
is going to win you many games either. But uh, uh, it looks like you guys score when you're in the Renzo red zone, though, 23 to 27. Uh, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, though, Craig, it's funny you bring it up. I was just doing some research ahead of uh, the game we have next week as we get the broadcast for home gaming at CULM. I was looking at red zone numbers because I, I recall the first four games of the year was really good. And in fact, you know, the numbers uh, prove that the first four games, they had a 100% scoring rate in the red zone. Uh, I think of their 13 trips, 10 of them ended up with touchdowns. But in the last three games, um, that scoring rate has gone down from 100% to 69%. You know, and the touchdown figure, I think, is like, um, I want to say it's six touchdowns in the last 14 trips. Uh, they've had a couple of red zone turnovers. They've had you know, turnover on downs. They've had, you know, uh, field goals instead of touchdowns in the red zone. So beginning of the year, very good as of late, not as much. Well, that's why I'm asking the questions and I'm not on the other side because right. uh, it, it, it's, it's one of those things. And I've got a friend that, that was used to be on the radio that said stats are like bikinis. They show a lot, but they don't show everything. So. Right. And that's good. And that, that, uh, that, that's a good comparison, but you're right. The numbers don't, you know, tell the entire story. And, and we know this too, behind every stat yeah. is context yeah. behind it. Not every interception is created equally, you know, except not every, separate. yeah, not every, uh, interception is the quarterback's fault. Like we like to blame right. the quarterback just, you know, so, but, um, last thing that I'll ask you with, and, uh, we'll go from there. Uh, are you here still? Did I lose you? Well, once again, we had a little technical difficulties, but we're back. So, but I was uh, asking, I got one more thing before you go, uh, game tonight, Troy and coastal Carolina. Does Troy have a chance? Tell me yes. <laughs> I know that the KJ fans love, love nothing more than to see the Chanticleers lose. Um, I'll say this about Troy. Texas State has played them, you know, this season. And that front seven of theirs is legitimate. You know, uh, Carlton Marshall, as we all know, a middle linebacker, is one of the better players in the conference, no matter the position. Um Javon Solomon and Richard Jubinor, a defensive end, are terror, you know, so that front seven gets after it, and they can give Grayson McCall some problems, you know, tonight in the game. I just don't know if Troy's offense can score enough. You know, Coastal defensively, you know, get, it gets lost and all the great things to do in offense. Uh, it's a good defense the shot players have, you know, and Troy's offense isn't quite what it used to be, you know, under Neil yeah. Brown and year one for Chip Lindsey. So I think it'll be competitive for a while, but I see Coastal pulling away in the second half. Yeah, but you're telling me there's a chance. So that's all I needed sure. to hear. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, well, Brent, thank you so much for coming in on. I appreciate it as always. Uh, looking forward to baseball. I know we're going to be making a trip to St. Marcos. We mm -hmm. play two games in Rice on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I'm sure the team will be leaving for San Marcos. Uh, the next morning instead of driving back to Lafayette. So uh, I plan on just heading to Rice and then heading over to San Marcos for a, for a great weekend. So uh, looking forward to, we'll have to have a, an adult beverage or two. So it's a date. Sounds so, good, Craig. Thank you. Have a good day. Uh, you've been listening to, we're talking with Craig Malasa and Brant Freeman.